glad you could join us for episode 119 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host Wayne as we continue our discussion of Joss Whedon's Space Western Firefly, starring Nathan Fillion and Adam Baldwin. And we came this close to being live in Studio A today, but we are doing the remote thing. But it is what it is. Yeah, best laid plans, as they say. Yep. Uh, we'd love to hear from you listeners via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can record a voicemail via the send voicemail tab. You can also record your own audio clips and the MP3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And as always, we encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And, and, you know, we're adding a member here and there, so it's growing and, and the discussions are pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, always uh, a lot of good stuff going there. I don't get to stop by as often as I'd like to, but there's a lot of good stuff going on in the uh, the old Facebook page. Yep. Now, uh, I mentioned to you before we went on the air about whether or not you had seen Sharknado, and you said no. And, and for God knows what reason, I started watching the first Sharknado film the other night. You just now, can't look away. Wayne, I got like 18 minutes in. It's, I, I don't understand what the appeal is, but okay, clearly there is an appeal. Nielsen estimates that Sharknado 3, oh hell no, averaged a 0.9 rating in the 18 to 49 demographic and 2.81 million viewers in its 9 p.m. premiere on July 22nd. I mean, that's like almost three times as many as, you know, Defiance dark matter killjoys now granted it's a movie and not a weekly show but still now this was down though from last year's sharknado 2 the second one which brought in a 1.3 in the 18 to 49 and nearly 4 million viewers the original which was july 2013 drew a 0.4 demo and only 1.37 million but what happened was social media turned it into a monster no pun intended and the replays actually fared better than the original. So I don't know. But even to lend it some more perspective, Wednesday's numbers for you know July 22nd it was the biggest improvement over sci-fi's primetime average, of course. Sharknado 3 was cable's number one original program for the night. Sci-fi was the number one rated cable network while it was on. And the network announced, big surprise, at the end of last night's Sharknado 3, that a fourth Sharknado movie is in the works. Oh. I haven't seen any of the Sharknados uh, at all. My kind of philosophy on B-movies is that they're B-movies for a reason. Every now and then you're like kind of scrolling down uh, Netflix and you see like classic examples, Iron Sky, you know? Oh, yeah. This, uh, you know, that, that takes place on the moon, right? Nazis on the right, moon or something? Nazis that, yeah, they, they escape World War II and set up a colony on the moon. And it's just terrible. Like, it's... <laughs> there's a re- reason, though, I went to see this movie in the first place. Now, that being said, there's obviously a lot, as you said, I mean, people see the Sharknado movies and then come back right i mean that's how this whole thing got started i know it's really popular with the kids that we teach uh can i explain it no you know i would obviously have to see it to probably explain it and i'm you know definitely not willing to take that step i don't think though uh you know i have to admit the uh the trailers for it that they were showing sci-fi did you know had me for a second thinking 
Hmm, yeah, maybe. Maybe maybe I'll give Sharknado a try. Well, it's but, become uh, such nah. a cultural phenomenon that you almost have to, which is, I guess, my only excuse, but I'm certainly not going back. I mean, uh, most people, I'm sure, have sci-fi on their cable system, so uh, you, know, you can go online and they've got them there, which is where I watched it, but no, nah, I'm done. Did, did you get to a, did you actually even see any sharks? Oh my God. Well, flying through the air. Yeah, of yeah. course. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, you only made 18 minutes. I didn't know if they just oh, watched no, like, the setup you know, and everything. Yeah. I saw a guy get eaten whole and, uh, you know, another guy get his leg bitten off, but, uh, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's shift over to Firefly news. And tonight's featured actor is Adam Baldwin, who plays Jane Cobb and, He's a series regular on TNT's post-apocalyptic drama, The Last Ship, where he plays XO Mike Slattery, which, from the little I've seen, is quite the departure from Jane Cobb. Are you watching this at all? No. Do you know anything about I've, it? I've, like, you know, again, it, uh, it's on TNT, so, you know, um, you know, when I'm watching, like, uh, Falling Skies or something, they, they have trailers or ads for The Last Ship, and... I mean, it actually kind of looks good, but again, as we say many times, only only so many hours during the week, right? Yeah, but and it looks to be like one of these virus run amok, and you know they happen to be at sea and immune to it. So now he's also like Alan Tudyk lent his voice to a number of animated projects, including Beware the Batman. Uh, he was a series regular on Chuck, where he pro- yeah, I was gonna say I was gonna bring up Chuck. Uh, portrayed John Casey from 2007 to 2012. And then uh, I know you'll relate to this one. Perhaps my favorite is the one in the castle episode, which was really just a one-off playing detective Ethan Slaughter, who teams up with Nathan Fillion's castle in a hilarious episode. And quite frankly, Wayne Slaughter makes Jane seem tame. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. So no, anyway. um, yeah, you know, I, I, I watched like maybe the first, two seasons of chuck i think that was a pretty good show actually um and you know he plays like uh again totally different person from jane still a guy who's into guns and everything but very straight laced government agent type guy well we're here to talk about firefly episode seven entitled janestown written by your guy ben edlin i was saying it's the ben edlin it was so awesome i saw his name and i was like yes yeah, directed by Marita Grabiak, and it aired October 18th, 2002. You know, this is a really, look, they're all strong episodes, but right. this one, it, it, I mean, it's so unique in that it clearly is Jane-centric. It clearly has a lot of lines. I mean, I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm laughing out loud, and you know, my wife's looking over like, what do you watch? Oh, Firefly. <laughs> and yet... You know, some of the emotional moments, some of the, you know, really serious moments, it's almost like the two don't want to go together, but they do. Because it's Jane-centric, obviously. There is, you know, they use him for a lot of the humor in the show and everything. But, yeah, there is an element of gravitas there that works out perfectly. And, you know, like Ben Edlund can just, the guy can write his ass off, man. (laughs) He's just such a good writer. And that's one thing about Supernatural, that whenever it comes up there's a supernatural episode that he does you know it's going to be like an extra good episode you know yeah and in a lot of ways it's the tale of a reluctant hero even though as we find out he didn't intend to be a hero but now that he's been tasked with that role he doesn't want it but 
you know, that scene at the end, you know, we'll get to when he's just talking to Mal about what he's just witnessed. It's like he does have a sense of the importance of his act, albeit accidental. Well, and it's also kind of him seeing the consequences of his selfishness, right? I mean, he is a pretty self-centered character. He realizes that, uh, you know, I mean, like how he doesn't get the people who sacrifice themselves for others and things like that. Um, it's it's all kind of Jane maybe growing a little bit. Right, and he certainly reinforces the the, the idea that there is no honor among thieves. You know, and, and it just it, it forced me, well, it didn't force me, but it certainly it made me think back to one of my favorite reluctant heroes, Mad Max and, and, and that trilogy. But, you know, this episode now more four. than any. Yeah, what's that? Oh, right, the fourth. I haven't seen the fourth yet. Yeah, I haven't either, but it's supposed to be really good. Yeah. So combining the absurd with the poignant and then also feature some meaningful conversations between a number of characters where we see a lot of development. And I'm not sure which is my favorite, but the river shepherd and and the meaning of faith is certainly up there. Sure, Uh, sure. Kaylee and Simon. Kaylee and Simon. Yeah. Great scene. Great talking about. Well, yeah, and and then just talking about what's truly important out on the black. And then that scene that I mentioned a minute ago with Jane and Mal trying to make sense of what's just happened back on Canton. So, um, And then Simon trying to find his place, and he's thrown into the mix there. Uh, River comes out of her shell a little bit. We see Inara, the philosopher. And, and, you know, in many ways, Malcolm's taking a back seat. Well, let's get to the opening scene and you know it's a light scene as as many of the opening scenes are Kaylee's teasing Simon about the fact that he never curses while he contends that he does when it's called for uh Inara passes on her way to meet a client have good sex Kaylee, yep. <laughs> Kaylee reminds her and, and you know Simon just looks at her dumbfounded and you know again we also see a little bit of Inara and you know get that idea that the importance of what it actually is that she does and, and the standing within the community. Then we hear a commotion. Jane's torn apart the infirmary looking for tape so that he can tape a handgun to his torso. Since they're going to a land that doesn't allow guns and, and does try to argue briefly with Mal. But this kind of sets up the whole thing that there's something about this place that, uh, you know, he's got history there at first, you know, everyone kind of blows it off, really. Like, uh, you know, you're just one guy. You're not all that important. You know, what? what's the big deal? There's the, the great part there where inevitably we see the, the hirsute Adam Baldwin having to take the tape off. Yes. Now, you know, in, in my notes, I had it that he's reminding Mal that the last time he was there, he made a lot of enemies. But I'm not sure Mal actually knows anything about him being so it's it, that's probably not quite accurate but either way inara disengages no i wasn't saying that mal knows i'm just jane start, sets up with jane having been there before right 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 so serenity puts down on canton which is a land that makes mud which apparently is very pungent it sounds like a business i could get into <laughs> skip my hose put it out in the backyard all right anyway yeah. well now what it seems is that the crew is a, acting as a middleman and we think they're going to buy mud, but uh, 
I'm not sure that's exactly what I'm still not sure exactly <laughs> what it was that they wheeled in. Right. They Serenity. just say the goods the whole time. And they're um, these big rectangular objects. Yeah. So we never really, I can't remember if like they, we ever, I don't think we ever really find out what it was. At Kaylee's urging, Simon's going to go with them, uh, which group includes Mal, of course, Kaylee, Jane, and Wash. Book agrees to watch River, and on the one hand, I was a little surprised that he let that happen, but as Shepard says, look, if I can't attend to a flock of one, I'm in trouble. Watching it now, I can't recall like the first time I saw it, whether I was surprised by that or not, but yeah, now I'm like, hmm. Because River is just so unpredictable. Um, no, right. Nothing bad happens with River here, but you know, the, her potential for causing mayhem is is tremendous, right? And not that Book isn't capable, but a lot of times it seems like Simon's the only one who can kind of bring her down. Right. Of course, at this point, you know, we really don't have any sense of her capabilities. Obviously, we learn as the as the series progresses, but. And, and we don't know how much time has elapsed since the last episode, but clearly we see she's come out of her shell a little bit and, and is acting, quote unquote, a little bit more normal. Right. Well, we find out that a lot of the workers on this planet are indentured servants, paid next to nothing. And Mal determines that because of Simon's appearance, he should pose as the boss who's out to buy some mud. And, and Simon is clearly out of his element. But he is trying. Mal does save him there at that one point. It's like, hey, boss, why don't we look around and decide? Yeah, well, you know, and it begs the question then, like, how the heck did he get River out of this high security place that she was if he's really not at all good at subterfuge, you know, like he's and being sneaky at all? So I don't know, but um, but the the part we missed when Jane comes out of the the ship with uh, the jacket on, the goggles on, his hood up, and everything. Well, yeah, and 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 Mal even comments on how ridiculous he looks. Uh, look, Jane, it's been so long; nobody's going to remember you. And then they come upon that bigger than life statue, complete with the nameplate Jane Cobb, and and, and then Simon is priceless. Son of a bitch. Yep. See, he does curse there, Kaylee. Yeah, I like how they have the uh, the name on there because otherwise, you know, the statue doesn't really look like him. You know? <laughs> like, right. I mean, it, it, it kind of does. And we know the title of the episode is, is Janestown. So, right. But like you said, that just seals the deal. Sure. So Jane gives us a little bit of background early. He screwed over the magistrate who he says is not a forgiving man. And then, of course, it goes right to the fact that Inara is actually meeting Magistrate Higgins, who tells her she's going to need all of her skill to deal with his problem. And, and at this point, we assume it's the same guy. But then my favorite scene in the whole episode, and, and there are a lot of them, Book finds River fixing his Bible. <laughs> right. you know, and, and we had that little line in the last episode uh, about the Bible and what it says about a man having sex with his wife and, you know, Mal's reaction. Oh, good Bible. Yeah. Right. Right. But, uh, she's going through, so it. I don't think that, that what she was saying was actually in the Bible. Though. Like, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I think that she might've been making that up. 
Well, she's going through Book's Bible, noting all the inconsistencies and anomalies. She's torn out pages, crossed out passages, rewritten sections before he can stop her. And then he goes on to explain to her that you don't fix the Bible, it fixes you. Right. And introduces her to his concept of faith. Yeah, which obviously she doesn't seem receptive to that at all, but... You know, it's really funny how she's like, you know, oh, Noah's Ark is a problem. Uh, we'll have to call it a quantum state phenomena. <laughs> you know, like, well, well, right. She's so analytic about it. Right. Like, you know, you could never have gotten all those animals under one boat. That's ridiculous. You know, from what we have seen of her, especially her as a child, we know that she's, you know, really good at like math and science and things. So having a scientific mind uh, often does not, not, not always, but often does not you know, kind of jive with, uh, you know, religion. Yeah. And and I just love the way this whole theme of faith has worked its way through the series, you know, starting with the pilot and Mal, and we learn about his relationship with God. And and obviously the relationship is obviously now strained. And, And we see a little bit more later in this episode as they continue this conversation. And then he tries to get the torn out pages from her and she's holding on tight and he finally tells her i think actually some of them tear he tells her you, you just hang on to the ones you've got all right so we go to the local bar crew waits and drinks and apparently it's an awful concoction that simon explains is the same as the egyptians gave to their slaves uh which obviously contained i guess all the nutrients that one would need and then there's a jane that says 15 percent alcohol right Liquid bread, he said. <laughs> yeah, and Simon says that this is what the you know Egyptians would you know give their their slaves and everything. But this is actually, and I, uh, maybe I shouldn't be going on here because just like I, I recently kind of heard it was actually on the Stuff You Should Know podcast. They were talking about the pyramids, and they said that the Egyptians really didn't use slave labor, right? Yeah. And these people here at the mud field uh we don't know that they're necessarily slaves they're indentured servants so i guess i guess they're paid uh you know when we find out about the money that jane dropped out of the ship uh, that he ended up letting them keep it as as a bonus but this well-dressed man approaches asks if they're looking for kessler who we know they are uh mal obviously is a bit apprehensive i mean that's what they do they're they're crooks and we find out that kessler was the middleman who apparently got caught, had his hands and feet hacked off and then dumped in the mud. And now it's clear that Mal and the crew are here to pick up a shipment for somebody else. The problem is how to get it to Mal without the foreman seeing it. Right. So they need a clever plan. Yep. All right. Now, I think I just said the other scene was my favorite <laughs> scene. <laughs> There's a lot of favorite scenes in this uh, but, but, but So we're back. You know, We're in the bar. The guitar player starts singing a song about Jane taking from the rich, giving to the poor. Everybody in the place loves the song, knows the lyrics, sings along, the hero of Canton, the man they call Jane. <laughs> Much to Jane's consternation, I must say. Yeah, but he's he's starting to warm to the ideal more and more, you know. But, uh, but yeah, well, especially since they're supposed to be laying low, right? And they're not right. supposed to be bringing attention to themselves and everything, so... You know, having a guy in your group who's has a ballad written about him, who they call the hero of Canton, a statue 
uh, you know, it's problematic, right? Well, Simon's horrified. Yeah. Kaylee, Kaylee is stupefied, uh, and, and they try to figure out what. Yeah, <laughs> actually, they're in their best, Malcolm. What? Yeah, right. Exactly right. Uh, the the state of disbelief. Yeah, everyone is just, and as Simon said, this must be what going mad feels like. You know, like just like the whole world is just seemed to be turned upside down. This is absolutely incomprehensible. Right. And in following with that, that idea, he tells us now the truth that it's not what it seems. He did steal money from the magistrate, stole a ship to get away, but the ship got hit and he had to dump the strong boxes to stay airborne. Now, at this point, he doesn't tell us that he also dumped his partner as well. Yeah, right. And the money rained down, the people interpreted it as Jane doing something heroic. And, and now we know why he is the hero of Canton. Sure. And this is kind of like every culture across the world has this kind of similar anti-hero. Uh, and the theme that's going to kind of pop up is how people have a need of figures like the romanticized Jane, not the actual Jane, but the romanticized Jane. Yeah, but know? even when they find out the truth, they're okay with it because... He stood up to the man. Right. No, that's what I'm saying. They still need that 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 type of figure, that the idea, especially for people who are downtrodden, they they need to, this belief that there's the ability of for their life to be better, right? Or their ability to strike back or their ability to rise up and stand up for themselves. And like, you know, Billy the Kid, Ned Kelly in Australia, Robin Hood, you know, on and on and on. You know, the the legend is, you know, larger than the the person in all those cases. And who, played, Jane. who played Ned Kelly in the 1970 movie? Uh, I don't know. Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, and I'm pretty sure you didn't see that one when it came I, out. I didn't. I didn't no, I, I, I wouldn't have, I don't think. But uh, I, I might have to go check that out, though. Um, all right. Now, did I mention my favorite scene? <laughs> River you, tries. You mentioned a couple. Okay. River tries to return pages she's torn out of Book's Bible. But when Book turns around after washing up, she's frightened by his wild hair, which is out of its ponytail for the first time. It is frightening, though, yeah. Well, it is, and you know she she is backed up on that feeling, of course, when Zoe <laughs> sees him as well, and she runs away screaming, which which was just classic. Yeah, um, well, right. she like throw yeah because she has like the the pages from the Bible. She's returning to him, right, and then she right. just she sees him. She just does a classic scream, throws him up in the air once again. Summer Glau showing her range here. Well, yeah, and you know the other thing that I like, even though these scenes between book and river are, are fairly brief within the context of the entire episode the fact that they play in so well with this whole idea of faith and like you mentioned a minute ago that these people needing to have faith in something to get them through their their lives and and, and in fact jane tries to speak and and actually somewhat eloquently on that idea at the end that the, the theme really strongly runs throughout the whole thing um here you know and that yeah the idea of belief i guess you kind of think about it, like um <clears throat> at the end it's everyone's back on the ship and it's kind of that faith in each other that kind of keeps this crew going along right yeah and i think as much as anybody simon really realizes that in this mission yeah definitely 
Okay. Well, Mal decides it's best if they get out of there, though we don't exactly know what he means at this point. But they leave the bar, enter the street, and they meet a crowd of people cheering Jane. And the man who's now the middleman, uh, you mentioned this before, they're supposed to be laying low. And he, of course, brings uh, brings that up to Malcolm. No, no, don't worry. It's all part of the new plan, Mal tells him. And, of course, we know at this point there really is no new plan. Uh, yeah. Well, and there rarely is a plan. And when they do have plans, they're usually not very good. So, you know, But that's who they well, are. Yeah. They, they're, what they are good at is improvising and going with the flow. Yeah. Now, I don't know where we know the magistrate from. He's been in a ton of stuff. Oh, uh, right? I totally know where he's from. Okay. And probably where you would have seen him because he was – the one season he was the vice president on 24. Oh, you're right. The bad one. Yeah. Yep. And then he was the president, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was a bad guy. So oh, he was like right. supposed to be, you know, he even kind of looks a little bit like Richard Nixon, you know, and everything. So oh, nice. That, yeah. There we go. Yeah. All right. Well, well, he enters Inara's shuttle. She's mixing a ceremonial tea or something. And of course he makes fun of that. It's like, come on, we want to get to the sex. And she's, of course, a bit miffed. And, and again, you love her attitude. She, I am a companion. I don't care who you are. I outrank you. I mean, that seems to be her approach. Well, yeah. And as you had mentioned earlier, and we've said a couple of times about the kind of standing that the companions have in this society, in this universe, and they are uh, of you know very high standing. Yep. And, you know, they can't doesn't seem like they can necessarily get away with anything, but they certainly, as we, yeah, as you say here, she just, this guy who is obviously not used to being told what to do, she tells him what to do. I, I brought you here to bed, my son, not hold a tea party. Right. And, and, and then when she responds now, and he is 26, which the father points out, but she points out that this place is a consecrated place of union, which then again, brings that whole religious aspect into it. Yep. Yeah. Good so, religion. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, the entire bar is now devoted to celebrating Jane, who revels in the attention at this point while Mal tries to plot his next move. And Simon and Kaylee get drunk, which might be my... Fi- no, <laughs> it, it certainly is is one of the funnier scenes in the episode. But uh, And then Kaylee tells Simon she thinks he's funny, and then he tells her he thinks she's pretty. And like, ah, okay. And then I wasn't sure how she was going to react to the one about, especially when you're covered in engine grease. Yeah. That's one that I think us experienced guys would not, you know, we wouldn't take a chance with that. I I wouldn't throw that out there once you finally told this girl that you think she's pretty. But, you know, he's also not in his right state of mind as well. So, you know, there is that to be said. But, yeah, I mean, mean, we've known from word one that uh, Kaylee has – kind of had eyes for Simon. Um, and yeah, yeah, and it's nice to see him reciprocate and give her something that, that she wants, which is attention. Right. Actually, I think she wants a little more than attention. Yeah, probably, <laughs> but, you know, she does. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, we just, we, we, we love Kaylee so much, and we just, you know, I just want to see her happy. You know? Right. <laughs> so, um, yeah, when you think back, her, her, you know, buying the, or she was going to buy, like, the, plate was there something yeah it was a plate right uh for him and everything that uh, you know she doesn't know how to really approach him because she you know he's supposedly refined and from you know a, a 
good wealthy upbringing and she's you know more you know used to working with her hands and much less refined and so she thinks that this would be an impediment but uh you know there's also in as human beings you know like she probably you know she's got a lot of soul and a lot of heart right which is such an irony as the you know the listeners who have seen the series know when we finally do get Kaylee's backstory and how she came to be a crew member on Serenity. <laughs> uh, now, of course, like you mentioned, things are going well. She's getting the attention she wants. Mal comes along, tells them they got to get out of this nut house. But then he realizes what's going on and he leaves them alone. Yeah. Says the, the pretense of like, because Kaylee's like, things are going well. And, you know, of course, Mal's just, all right, great. That's, that's fine. And then she has to say, no. <laughs> Things are going well, you know, so it takes him a little bit of time to cotton on, but, you know, right. he's not always, <clears throat> it's not the first time that, that Mal wasn't 100% uh, perceptive when it comes to what Kaylee's thinking. Exactly, exactly. Now, you know, I was a little surprised that on a mission like this, and I guess you could argue that all their missions are like this, but that he leaves Zoe behind on Serenity. But we're back on Serenity. River's talking about too much snow on a roof. I, I don't have a clue what she's talking about, or is it just supposed to be ramblings? I think it's supposed to be I didn't even really note it because, yeah, like a lot of stuff that, that you know, she says is, as you said, ramblings. Book and Zoe are trying to get her to come out, but she tells him he can't. Too much hair. Too much hair. <laughs> Which Zoe agrees with tells river that he's putting the hair away honey it doesn't matter it'll still be (laughs) it'll still still be there waiting she can't unsee it (laughs) yep and then mal and wash return to the ship zoe tells him bernoulli wants his merchandise so you know we're, we're, we're putting the whole mission together as we go along wash is drunk celebrating jane's uh, newfound uh, celebrity uh, mal explains to zoe that the local mutters agreed to have a jane day which should provide them enough of a distraction to move the cargo so there is a plan now there yeah and not not, not too bad of a plan no actually and, and you know what it works out really smoothly i mean you know they get the cargo on right. the serenity no problem the one part that they didn't really consider was that you know obviously they're drawing a lot of attention to jane and that the you know the authorities obviously would take note of this and that that might cause some problems as well like with your ship being grounded right i don't think we know at this point that the you know the mutters said oh no no no. he you know he let us keep the money there are too many of us when he wanted to take the statue away no we rioted so we don't know that yet at this point so you know like you just said you almost wonder that aren't you afraid that the magistrate's going to realize you're here and of course that ends up happening Right, exactly. All right, so Inara explains to Fess, the, the magistrate's son, that companions choose their partners very carefully, trying to assuage his embarrassment at being a 26-year-old virgin. She, you know, again, it's, it's like she's like the religious philosopher here. Wasn't that a movie? What's that? A 26-year-old virgin? Uh, I think so. If not, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> and tells him she wouldn't have come for his father, and, you know, that once he realizes that once he realizes that, the stronger he'll become. And, and again, just 
I don't think she understands at the time that what she's doing here with Fess and this psychology is going to come into play as part of the plan, but clearly it does. Right. And it wasn't part of the, you know, obviously it wasn't part of the plan at all. It was just her, you know, helping, it's it's her doing what she does. Right. Exactly. Um, Which is, and she sees this guy who is bullied by his dad. The fact that he hasn't had sex yet is not the thing that is holding him back, right? It's his subservience and to, to his father, right? And not standing up for himself and not doing what he thinks is right, just doing what his dad tells him to do. And uh, and so she gets him to kind of break away from that idea. Right. And it does end up helping him in the end, but you know, obviously that's not what she was planning on. No, but it, it, it is what she was planning on. Just, you know, you right, know what right. I mean? It, it is. And to it get is. him to stand up for himself. Exactly. Right. Uh, all right. So the foreman comes to tell the magistrate that there's trouble in Workertown. Jane Cobbs come back. And this is the same Jane Cobb that said, I had my very own riot. <laughs> <laughs> so they go to this box on stilts that turns out to be a jail cell and release this one-eyed man who's apparently been in there for four years. He looked like Tom Hanks in that movie where he was. Yeah, on that island for however long. uh, Oh man, I don't know. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, turns out that this guy was Jane's partner, and we learned that Jane pushed him out of the shuttle, leading him to take the fall for the crime. And that literally, yes, exactly. So I don't know if his time really was up or if the magistrate just figured, nope, this is you know here are your personal effects, and the guy's like, so you're the guy that kept me in here for four years and you're giving me a loaded gun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and by the way, Jane Cobb's in town. You may remember him. Yeah. He's the guy who pushed you out of the, the, the ship. Yep. So it's really interesting how the way all these plans are just being created on the fly. And, you know, I mean, look, the magistrate's plan is a good plan. In the larger state of it, you could say, why doesn't he just, arrest chain but i guess he's trying to avoid another riot but i don't see how releasing this guy who assassinates chain is going to not direct you know it's not like people aren't going to say hey i think the magistrate might have had something to do with this right you know like they're going to probably figure out so i don't know right right i mean the only thing would be i guess is that the magistrate could say hey it wasn't me i mean this guy's time was up I uh, had to release them. It's not my fault, but sure. like you said, the, whether or not the workers would actually buy that. Yeah, it gives him a, a level of deniability, though. It's pretty sketchy. Yep. All right, so the next morning, Mal returns to the bar <laughs> to find Kaylee and Simon asleep in each other's arm, and Simon's mistake number two. As as so often happens in these types of things, like when the light of day shows up, then people are a little bit different. Well, I mean, yes, but like, I I think he just doesn't know how to act in front of Mao. It's almost as if, okay, you found me in bed with your daughter. You know, it's almost like sees him as the father figure. Oh, no, no. I would never have sex with your daughter. And Kaylee's like, what? You know, so now she's insulted. I mean, he can't win. Yeah, yeah, he really can't. But, you know, it's funny because I know how... Both of them, actually. Both Kaylee and Simon kind of hop to the minute Mal shows up, you know. Like, yeah, like Dad has come downstairs and, you know, found uh, some, uh, you know, the 
his daughter and her boyfriend make it out on the couch. They, they, you know, they both kind of stand up and are embarrassed and deferential. Yep. And it would have uh, been better just one. keep your mouth shut, Simon. It, it would be better to just keep your mouth shut. Absolutely. So she's pissed, tells him, you know, it's about the time a civilized person would have breakfast and storms out. So classic. And then he's like, can I see a menu? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, did you hear that the bartender said from that? What did he say? I forget. He, he goes, can I see a menu? And the bartender goes, a what? <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, now we're back with Fess and Inara. They've done it. And he tells her he thought he'd feel differently. And she tells him that it's not the sex that makes him a man. You do that yourself. And obviously, again, she doesn't know how this is going to impact their overall stay on the planet. But clearly, it is what she's trying to get across to him that you need to stand up for yourself. And then, of course, his father's banging on the door, needs his son to attend a criminal hearing and uh, tells Inara the quick version of the hero of Canton. And she immediately thinks, oh, they're talking about Mal. And then when he mentions Jane Cobb by name, Again, maybe not my favorite scene, but certainly right up there. <laughs> yeah, and as you said, you know, when we we get these little glimpses into the characters here, and we know that Inara uh, and Mal have a thing for each other. You know, that's become more than obvious. But you know, it's funny to hear her talking about Mal to other people, and you know, how much she really admires him. Like his personality seems like a lot of times she's, uh, you know, doesn't like him personally, but we see that she actually does. But then when he's, yeah, when he says, oh, how do you know Jane Cobb? And she's like, you know, just the the way her face completely changes into like, you're talking about Jane. And then he mentions that his father had serenity landlocked and we figure, because it's also clear the kid doesn't like his father, and we figure, okay, he's going to help them escape. It's just, you know, we didn't know, you know how he would do it. <laughs> All right, so we're back with Jane and the crew. You think we should be using my fame to hoodwink folks? He asks Mal after he explains the plan. And <laughs> Jane's serious. Yeah, yeah. It's he's he's one step away from getting an agent, right? Right. I mean, and he thinks he's made a difference in these people's lives. And the irony is that he's probably right. I mean, yeah. we we think he's a buffoon for thinking that, but when you examine it, like again, like you said at the at the top of the show, he really is right. He he did give these people something. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, you know, I. I get probably when I first saw this, I thought that he was just a buffoon, but now I'm watching it and I'm thinking, you know what, Jane actually is not 100% selfish here. Like he is actually thinking, as you said, like that he's right when he says that I've done something for these people. Now, I didn't really do it, I didn't mean to do it, but what I did did end up having unintended positive consequences for these people. Right. And. Coming with that is a certain level of responsibility, and he's not used to having that kind of responsibility. I mean, that's Malcolm's era, right? Who was who was the uh, oh Charles Barkley? Who said I'm not a I'm not a hero or something like right, that? Right, right. I'm not a role model. Not a role model. Yeah, that's what he said. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Zoe and Wash drive up on the little tractor thingy that they're always using on the ground, find yeah, the cargo. That thing is awesome, man. Right. And, and, and like we said earlier, that aspect of the plan goes off without a hitch. They get it back on Serenity. And it's almost like, huh? How did that go so smoothly? How, yeah. How yeah. Did you- he, he did say easy peasy. Yep. 
Which, uh, if you recall, uh, Normal had said uh, in the last episode that we reviewed of uh, Dark Angel. Right. We right. said easy peasy. Yep. So I, you know, I, clearly um, one of these shows is copying from the other. Yep. <laughs> All right. So Simon's finishing up his breakfast. Uh, Stitch, the release prisoner, comes in, apparently understands he's friends with Jane, wants to know where he is. Simon plays dumb and gets the crap kicked out of him. In a kind of, you know, karmic sense, maybe he kind of had that coming a little bit. Yeah, true, true. All right, so we're at uh, Jane Day. I like the ring of that. The crowd demands a speech, and Jane tells them, you know, I'm not good with words. Don't use them much myself. <laughs> But, of course, Stitch shows up. Start him off with a joke, though, right? Exactly. Classic. (laughs) Uh, Stitch shows up dragging Simon with him, and now we've got the good old-fashioned showdown in the middle of the street, and Stitch tells the crowd the truth about what happened that day, and and we really are curious about how they're going to react. You know, are they going to feel as if Jane duped them? Yeah, it's either the one thing where their hero is crushed in front of them and they angrily turn on him, or what actually ends up happening is it doesn't matter the the truth of what happened. They need this hero. Like we said, they need that hero. They're going to hold on to him despite the truth. Right. And, you know, as we're listening to Stitch, you know, talk, you know, it, it does seem as if Jane violated Mal's rule about having uh, crew members back. And then Jane's like, what are you going to do? Talk me to death? Stitch has had enough, got a shotgun, takes a shot. And then, you know, in that same way we talked about, uh, you know, the, the, the classic scene where the character dives kind of sideways, a gun in each hand. This kid, of course, doesn't have any weapons, but he takes the bullet for Jane. Well, first he beats Stitch to death. Um, but then... You know, he goes right over to the boy and is he's dumbfounded. Uh, why would he do that, right? Like, he can't he can't wrap his head around someone around altruism, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, we said last podcast that you know there is a lot of killing in Firefly, but this might even be one of the most horrific scenes we've ever witnessed. You know, like you said, the boy appears dead. You know, and, and Jane sees that takes that big knife of his, throws it at Stitch, hitting him right in the throat. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't deter him right. <laughs> as he runs at Jane. And then Jane starts bashing his head into a rock. And even though we don't see it per se. It's kind of reinforced as Jane is getting back onto Serenity. I don't know if you saw his hands. Oh, with the blood all over Completely him. covered in blood, yeah. Yeah, but even before that, you know, because as he's doing that, you can see the crowd is, right. it, it, yeah. it, is just horrified. And then after it's over, that young boy pulls the knife from Stitch and then offers it two-handed back to Jane. Yep. You know, just signifying, you're still our hero. Yep, absolutely. And it pisses Jane off mm-hmm. because he didn't want somebody dying for him. Right, yeah. He says, you know, it should have been me. He pushes the statue over. He tries to completely destroy this image that they have of him because at this point he still doesn't get it right well his self-loathing is difficult to watch as he's doing this and 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 the crowd's silence is deafening of course yeah and that's good you said self-loathing that's really good because we wouldn't expect him to have that kind of level of reflection in him right no not at all that uh, we didn't think he was deep enough to 
to be have any self-loathing so yep well the crew returns to serenity kaylee is helping simon who's had the you know what kicked out of him you mentioned jane's got the blood on his hands uh wash finds out that the ship is landlocked inara comes in and asks wash if there's a problem suddenly the lock is lifted and and of course she's got that little smile on her face that she knows how it got lifted right and you know we we really don't even need the next scene where it cuts to the magistrate and his son you did what (laughs) right but you know it's because he's such a jerk like yeah we want it's fulfilling to see him have his comeuppance it is absolutely um and it's nice to see the his son stand up to his dad and everything. Um, well, there's, uh, you know, another thing is, as Jane is going back into serenity and we mentioned his hands, but also he kind of, he, he starts to look back, you know, like his head starts to turn around, but then he does and it snaps back forward. Like, you know, like he can't look back. Yeah. Um, he, he can't, he, he, he doesn't want to think about what, to, what he's done and what's happened and everything. And, Right. And, and the irony, while a lot of bad things did happen, again, what he's done in terms of providing for the greater good, you know, he, he's given these people, you know, you know, that whole speech he gives them about that, that, you know, your life sucks. And how did you handle that? How did you approach that? You kept your head up and you kept going. And that is something. Absolutely. And, you know, that last conversation between Mal and Jane you know, Mal basically says what we've been saying here that everyone who gets a statue made of him is some kind of, you know, son of a bitch or another. But it's it's not about the person who's getting the statue put up. It's about the people who are putting the statue up, yep. which is kind of what we've been saying that that they uh, they don't need the, a real live Jane. They just need this legend of Jane to give them hope and to, you know. As you just said, make them think that there's a chance for things to be better. Right, which then ties in neatly to that final scene, you know, with Book and River, and really about what religion is about on so many levels, which is providing hope. Uh, Book walks in, finds River focused on a book, and this might be my favorite scene. (laughs) Uh, She's taking notes, but we don't know what book she's reading. Just keep walking, preacher man. Just keep walking, preacher man. <laughs> uh, Kaylee's in Simon's quarters asking him why he didn't fight back more. But the conversation leads to her asking why he's stiff when he's around her. Yeah. <laughs> Since it's clear. No, no, they didn't mean that. Um, and then she says, what's so damned important about being proper? It don't mean nothing out here in the black. And then he re- responds and i and i really love it he responds that it means more tells her his showing respect for her is his way so when we made love last night <laughs> she's yeah oh you are so easy but, uh, you know but but you know that whole idea where you know it's like it would be easy you know you know it's like then i'll probably get it wrong but you, you know it, it's it's no big deal to do the right thing when everybody's looking it's do you do the right thing when you know nobody's looking. Right. And that's kind of what Simon's saying here. Yeah. I mean, this idea of his aloofness is not being coldness, but being, you know, respectful and polite behavior is, you know, that's maybe we see Simon a little bit differently 
uh, when he puts it that way. Right, because I mean, if we're going to just you know get rid of respect because we're out here on the black, then it's going to disappear, and and you know it's something that's important enough to keep alive. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, you know, I'm starting to think all these episodes get get an A from me, but yeah. uh, you know, this is just one that, that just had so much, and and you know, obviously the backstory on Jane, we learned so much about him that we certainly didn't expect. Yeah, it was just uh, an awesome episode all around. As I mean, that's the reason why we're you know we're doing Firefly, right? Yep. Ben Edlund, well done. Good work extremely well-written episode uh we had action we had romance we had laughter we had tears what more could you ask for nope i agree with you i guess that'll do it for this one yeah all right well listen we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight we'd love to hear from you about firefly dark angel or anything else you think we should be watching and as always like to encourage you to join the facebook group if you're already a member spread the word emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe tab at the website and we will be back next week with firefly episode eight titled out of gas but until then so dave yeah i was just as i was pulling up garage bands i remember when you first showed me how to use it and everything teaching me kind of the rudiments of podcasting and i'll never forget what you said to me because it just it meant so much you said you're like a trained ape without the training